0: Hey, it's Matt Robeson, Beyond Politics. We are available wherever you get your podcasts, which you know already because you're listening to us. It's weird how every podcaster starts with that. Just finished recording an interview with my good friend Howard Monroe, who is a legendary West Virginia radio broadcaster. We talked about the question of, is Joe Biden in such a bad state in the polls politically that he really should reverse course and drop out? What do we know from the polls? I talked a little bit about what I think is the most important, interesting number in politics. Thinking a lot about this recently, ever since my recent episode with Ian Smith, the pollster at Navigator Research, more coming up on this. I, I, I'm i going to get into it more, but I began to preview some of the thinking here with Howard in the show. And then we talked a little bit about this week in Trump and the question of whether any of these judges who are presiding over his many, many trials are going to actually enforce the orders against him and shut him down or even potentially jail him. Just a quick note that toward the tail end of the interview with Howard, we had some audio problems, tried to clean him up. Uh, here on the back end uh, in the engineering studio and hopefully got rid of most of them. Sorry, though, if there's a little echo um, at some places or a little loss of audio quality. I'm not an audio engineer, uh, but the crack staff here did their best and hopefully you will get most of it. And final thing, please make sure you've hit that follow button or that subscribe button. Really helps us out and we are climbing up the rankings steadily and we need your help. And every time you hit that subscribe or follow button, hit play on one of our episodes, it gives us a little boost and we really appreciate it. Thanks so much. And with that, here's Howard.
1: I always enjoy talking to my friend, Matt Rope, a former congressional stamper, a former political consultant and a podcaster, writer for a number of online blogs and all that kind of good stuff. And when we get together, we talk, we talk the big political stories. Matt, good morning. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Always a pleasure. I want to talk about Trump, and I want to spend a good bit of time talking about some of the sidelights of the Trump story. But let me shift gears, if you don't mind. Let's talk about Biden for a minute. How much trouble is Biden in? You know, these polls that came out last week, two separate polls showing Trump beating him in key background states. And, you know, there's a huge fear among the Democrats now that Trump is going to win and maybe Biden should go. Maybe somebody else should take over. How much trouble is Biden
0: in in your professional I feel like the guy with his head in the icebox and his feet in the oven. And on average, I feel fine. I'm driven by two <laughs> conflicting impulses here, Howard, because I'm a Democrat, which means that I am congenitally worried all the time. I'm like a rabbit. I'm nervous about every shadow. On the other hand, I, you know, I, I like polling. I believe in data. I'm a data-driven guy, and so, you know, I have both of those impulses happening at the same time. Look, um, it's not good. The situation he's in today is not good. And you can read any number of polling outfits, the New York Times, CNN. There's a new analysis that they reported on in Politico this morning, a new statistical analysis. And, you know, you can look at that and and say, the situation is not good. The problem is that all of these things are very artificial. They're very artificial because what you're asking people is, is the election were held today for whom would you vote if we want to invoke the grammar police and what people are saying is one answer but that's like hey if you had wheels would you be a trans am or a camaro it's like well i don't this is inherently a fantasy here and the election is not today and what is not happening today is we have not had a campaign we have not had the future happen. We don't know if Donald Trump is going to be a convicted felon. There is all of the $14 billion that is projected to be spent on the election has not happened yet. And so I, I don't feel good. Of course, I don't feel good. But I look at last week's election results and I say, yes, yeah, we have some very powerful messaging tools on our side. We have some very important data points yet to happen. and. All things being equal, do I would I prefer to be, if this were a game of poker and this is not a game, would I prefer to be Biden or Trump? In terms of winning the election, I'd still prefer to be Biden. So I'm very uncomfortable. Are you uncomfortable? Well, I'm uncomfortable. If uh, a pollster were to call me and ask me, do you,
1: are you aggressively in support of Joe Biden for president, I would say no. Yeah, it, it, Will I vote for him against Donald Trump? The answer is yes. But do I think he's the best candidate that we have right now? Probably not. I think, first place, you have to believe polling, and I do believe polling, and I use polling a lot to make my point. But I also think you gotta be careful in looking at polls, and I think you also have to recognize that polls are a moment in time, and we're far away from the election, far, far away from the the, uh, the nominating process. So uh, I, I don't know. Wh- I don't know if you inter- how you interpret this or not. Maybe sometimes I look at polling as a way to see where your weaknesses are and then figure out how to get around them. But I've never known an election, Matt, where. It is so hard to figure out what's going to happen. We do have, we have a a key candidate who is far and away the most popular, according to polling candidates on the Republican side of things, Donald Trump, who is currently in the midst of multiple trials and who very conceivably will end up being a federal. I mean, that puts a big question mark over everything. And then
0: Biden out there, there are a lot of question marks about that. It's hard for me to figure... Maybe Joe Manchin is my answer. Can I give you one, one number that I think explains a lot of what's going on right now and may give people, I don't know, some comfort if they're Democratic leaning. I don't know what, if it should make people feel better or worse, honestly, but I think it explains a heck of a lot. The number is 10, ten minutes. That's a good move. On, oh yeah, <laughs> that 10, on my Bojarek, right? On my podcast, Beyond Politics, I was interviewing a pollster Ian Smith, a very insightful guy, and he did a fascinating study. One of the most interesting things that I've heard in politics in a long time. He was describing how he had done this study of suburban women, persuadable voters, but instead of asking them polling questions or focus grouping, he asked them to keep track of their time. And for weeks, they tracked how much time they spent consuming news, especially political news. And the number was. 10, 10 minutes per week. And for those who like a little bit of extra math in the, with their morning coffee, that is 0.1% of their time. And so if you think about for a second, what you had for dinner last night, now think about what you had for dinner the night before and keep going back a few days, you find pretty quickly that it's really hard and you're spending a heck of a lot more time than 10 minutes eating dinner. And that's how little time per week people are paying attention to this stuff. You and I, were in it, we're reading it, we're talking about it, we're, this is part of our profession. But for most regular normie people, this is very bottom of mind. And so I think what you said a moment ago is very true. It is really important that we don't know not only what the future holds, but also We have not had a campaign. We have not had the intense media focus on this. This has not been the number one thing that people are reading about, thinking about, hearing about for months on end, which it will be in 2024. That will lead to a very different landscape. Let's take a break. We'll be right back.
1: I like your 10-minute statistic because it is a point that I think I speaking for myself, and I suspect many of us in the chattering class forget, as you point out, I spend my entire day with my phone in front of me, reading various and sundry news sites and seeing what's going on and digging around, looking for things, talking to people. But more important is reading, reading, reading. That's why I have all this stuff in my head and bring it to the show. And I guess it makes a good show. But the truth matter is I'm not normal. Now, my listeners do not text me about that. I know I'm not normal in other ways, too. But, I mean, I'm not normal. You're not normal in the amount of political news that we consume. The average person goes through their life, you know, know, catching a story here, there, everywhere. They're kind of aware that Trump and Biden are, you know, probably going to be running. And they're aware of certain things But they're not, I don't want to use the word passionate about, they're not even overly aware of it. And I think that's really important. And let me draw a distinction. Let me follow up on that if I can, Matt. What happened in Ohio last week with the two issues, issue one and issue two, the abortion issue and the um, recreational marijuana issue, they had overwhelming support. And I talked to a lot of people who said, oh, this means that the the Democrats are going to turn things around in Ohio. No, it doesn't. Because on those issues, there was passion. General public got more up involved in abortion and in the recreational marijuana thing. Therefore, they cared enough to go vote and to vote in, in their way. I don't think that translates into a general feeling about voting for any elected official. Issues are one thing. Candidates are something else.
0: I think you're right. Although there were a couple of interesting experiments that were run in the election last week. One of them was this abortion question and we saw it on the ballot in Ohio and we saw it uh, on the ballot very much in Virginia. You know, two abutting states for all of your listeners there. And it's interesting that much like we saw in the midterms in 2022, abortion was the sort of the central tentpole, the lightning strike that organized and rallied voters who generally took the Democratic side. Yes, on the referenda in Ohio, it wasn't necessarily tied to the Democrats, but in Virginia, it was very much tied to yes. the Democratic candidate. And, you know, I on Beyond Politics, on my podcast, I've had many times the former chairman of the Ohio Democratic Party, David Peffer, talking about their organizational efforts. I think people in the state, you know, through the Democratic Party around issues like these referenda, and I, I can tell you that people in the state are very aware what time it is politically. So that's one set of data data points. I do think that Democrats are going to draw some major lessons from that. The other interesting one is Kentucky Governor Andy Beshear. You know, his re-election, which was not driven by abortion, and was run very much to overcome $74 million spent against him and a campaign focused on trying to tie him to Joe Biden and the economy. And he won. He won by five points. And so... That's a very interesting data point that suggests that there are things embedded in what Joe Biden has accomplished as president that people really like. Do they love the packaging? Do they love the term Bidenomics? No, probably not. But they like the accomplishments and there is an opportunity there for Democrats to run around positive issues that voters care about. So. Two different stories, two different places, but overall, I, I think it's good news that there are these two slightly different pathways that have led to victory for Democrats. Well, you certainly
1: identify a couple of things that did happen and that are positive news for Democrats. I want to go back to the 10-minute story, though, that you know, most people are only spending about 10 minutes a week with political news, because the other side of that, or, or one of the uh, implications of that is the general public only gets a glancing headline here or there. I'm thinking, for example, they're not getting any real information about how the economic policies of Joe Biden are actually working in the macro sense. They're not, what they're getting is the little drive-by headline that says Biden is senile. And that's what sits in their mind because they're not doing any more research. They're not doing any more reading. They're just living with that little bit that Washed along into their head while they're doing their laundry or whatever. Um, and I, I think that's a problem, too. Maybe this will change as we get closer to the election because I, you know, we're still a year away from the actual election and about six months away from a nomination, nominating uh, candidates. Let me ask you this, it, it, just because we've talked about it here on the show, and then I'll we'll talk about Trump in the next segment, but I, I don't think Biden will drop out. But if not Biden, I mean, is this talk, you know, David Axelrod last week said, uh, you know, maybe Biden should consider dropping out because of these polls. If not Biden, who?
0: Is there anybody out there? I don't think there is now. I think that I, I'm more open-minded than I think most Democratic analysts to the idea that who knows, maybe the Democratic Party would be better off if Joe Biden had announced, I'm not running for re-election and there had been a, a, a yeah. fresh nominating process. I'm open minded to that. We will never know because at this point, what you really need is a time machine for Joe Biden to have made that decision six months ago. Yeah. At this point, I mean, one, one of the newest sets of, if we're gonna credit polling data, one of the newest sets of polling data out this morning suggests that Donald Trump would beat Biden in the electoral college 292 to 246 for what it's worth, precision without accuracy, but it also shows that Donald Trump would be Kamala Harris or Gavin Newsom. And you get a different, slightly different story if you look at the New York Times poll results. And so uh, the point is, it goes back to what you were saying a few minutes ago, Howard, that we really don't know what the next year is gonna hold. And it's very hard. You can make a case for Gretchen Whitmer. You can make a case for Jared Polis. There are talented Democratic Party leaders who could have run, who, you know, they could make strong candidates. But, uh, you know, it's just unknowable at this point. And it's sort of not really a practical question. Now, look, I mean, you know, I I think the reality is we're sort of pot committed at this point, to put it in poker terms. And I just I I don't know, I I, I think it's worth talking about if and only if, you know, if the president has a, a major like health crisis, Then, you know, there's technically still a a couple months before we start nominating. But this horse has left the barn door and it's several miles down the road, in my mind. Let's take a break. We'll be right back.
1: I I would agree with you. And and I agree if a better choice in my mind, and I said this at the time, if Biden had said, I'm going to be if he said, I'm going to be one term president, I'm going to support somebody, whoever else may have come forward. We're past that point. Now there's nobody there. Uh, The Republicans, at least, if Donald Trump is out of the picture, for whatever reason, there are other Republican candidates out there right now vying for the Republican vote. There is no such thing happening on the Democrat side of things. So, you know, Trump, Biden, well, if Trump is, for some reason, pulled from the game board, there are other players that can step up. If Biden's pulled from the game board, there's just nobody there. And I'm not sure who it is, Kamala Harris? That would be, a, I think, a disaster, quite frankly. So I don't know. But it's all unknowable. That's the whole point. It's all unknowable. Never have I ever seen an election like this one where I just, I can't even begin to figure out, heck, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, let alone right. what can happen next week. I well, I'll, just,
0: I'll tell you in 15 seconds that, that political prognosticators, analysts who use polling or who use what they call the fundamentals of the economy or incumbency, This is an unprecedented set of circumstances. They don't know either. And anyone who tells you different is selling you something.
1: Matt Robeson is with us. Matt, uh, one of our uh, key political consultants and analysts here on the Watchdog Morning Show. Matt, there's a question. Washington Post asked a question a couple of weeks ago, which I thought was interesting. It said, Uh, judges could send Trump to jail for contempt. Does any judge dare to do that? And your assignment
0: to me is to, is to answer that question. That is, that is tough. I mean, okay, I'll, get, I'll give you my, my quick one. Um, no, no, very unlikely. I, I think that the judges and there are different trials, different judges involved here, but I think we've already seen that they will try to use every means at their disposal, and they have many to try to corral Donald Trump, to try to restrain him, and to try to limit the worst of his offenses, including threatening court staff jurors to judge themselves. But look, the judges are very aware of two dynamics here. One is possibility that all of these trials will be subject to an appeal. And I am not a legal analyst. I have top level legal analysts on my show. So I want everyone to subscribe to Beyond politics. And I will commit to you that I will have back someone like Barb McQuaid, who was on a couple of weeks ago, or Joyce Vance or one of these other smart former prosecutors who can walk us through the odds of appeal and what judges think about when they think about what might happen on appeal. I am confident, though, the judges do not want these trials to get overturned because of something they did that is bad for everyone. And so they're going to be very cautious about that. The other thing, of course, though, is that the judges are super smart people who are very aware of the politics here. Trump's strategy is delay, win, kill. What I mean by that is delay and drag out these trials as much as possible to give himself a chance to win, not in the trials, which I'm sure, Sure. yeah, in the election, and then to kill all of them or pardon himself or all of the above like, or, or right. simply tell the Justice Department to, to, to drop all charges and that kind of thing. Absolutely. Yeah. absolutely absolutely and so there's that is but far and away what he's aiming for here and the judges are going to I again they, they know I mean they're trying to keep things inside the courtroom but they they know what's going on outside the courtroom and they're not going to do anything that leans into his quest to evade justice. So I think they're they're going to be very cautious in how they proceed and use every other means at their disposal before jailing him for contempt or something like that.
1: I I, I agree with your conclusion, but maybe I I do it from a different perspective. I think they're nervous about violent reaction if he were thrown in jail. Uh, I won't go so far as saying another insurrection, but I, I think they worry a lot about what uh, the, the, the aggressive Trump supporters would do if uh, he were to show up in an orange jumpsuit. I think that's one of the things that really keeps him from that. On the other hand, Matt, here's, here's what I keep asking myself. If you or I violated the orders the court set down when we were a, 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 a defendant, we would be sent to jail. He has violated the gag I mean, order. He's already been fined at least twice by Judge, I think it was in Judge I did I, like you, I lose track of which case to switch, but... I think he's been fined twice for violating the gag order financially at some point, if you or I did that at some point, go, that's it. The money's not working. I'm sending to jail,
0: should he get any different treatment than the rest of us? Well, look, it is possible. And again, I will, I will commit to you that I will drag one of these expert legal analysts back onto my show and I'll ask them about this. I mean, the other thing that could be going on here is if you have an employee at your business and you know, you start to have problems with them, you might create a paper trail, right? You know, you might start to document like, hey, you know, Robeson's showing up late and he's, you know, being abusive to coworkers or whatever it is. Actually, I would never do any of those things. I don't want to associate (laughs) my name with them. Um, You know, it, it could be that what the judges will try to do here is sort of an escalating series of penalties short of, but leaving open the possibility that they would jail him. And, you know, it's the kind of thing where, Showing that kind of a record of paper trail of escalating sanctions could be helpful if, if there's grounds on appeal for, oh, you know, we were treated unfairly, there was bias, whatever it is that, that the attorneys would be claiming. So I do, I, I guess it is possible. You know, I mean, here's a question back to you. Let me ask you this one. Trump's attorneys in the federal case tied to the insurrection and his attempts to overturn the election. Trump's attorneys just filed to have the trial be televised in, again, you know, like, unlike the the policy that exists, federal trials are not televised. They want to overturn that and they want this televised. Is this, if they get their way, Jack Smith has opposed this, but if they get their way, is that necessarily a bad thing? No, in fact, I think I would, I would hope it is televised because Trump's,
1: Demeanor, whether he's on the witness stand, which could happen again, or whether he is simply in the courtroom, is so bizarre that I think it may be enough to move some people away from his, from voting for him. I just think he's crazy enough, and I think he's crazy enough when he's on television to do something that would get himself in serious trouble. No, I think it should be televised. What do you think?
0: I am split again. Heads in the icebox, feet in the oven. <laughs> but I think of the example. And we talked about it on your show, I'm pretty sure. I think of the example of those early COVID daily press conferences that Trump was holding. And for a while, there was a lot of hand-wringing from Democrats about, gosh, he's getting all this airtime, and he's looking good and presidential. And then he said that we should inject cleaner into ourselves. And he started acting like a crazy person because he is a crazy person and he can't help himself. And before long, his advisors were pleading with him please stop. We beg you to stop. Oh, look over there, a shiny object. Go draw a, with a Sharpie on a hurricane map or something. Like, go amuse yourself over there. Seems that there's a high chance that exactly like you say, Trump would, you know, shoot himself in the foot. So I'm not convinced that it would be a bad thing. All right, Matt, I got to run
1: on. I have some other things to do here, unfortunately. So we'll have to repeat our conversation again
0: in the near future. People can follow you on Beyond Politics, wherever That's- podcasts are found, right? absolutely beyond politics on all the podcast platforms great uh suite of guests and we're also on youtube if you like to watch i I know you were talking about facebook live people should check you out there and uh we're on youtube frequently with clips and full shows blue amp channel just uh search for it on youtube
1: all right man always good talking to you we'll do it again sometime soon thanks my friend thanks so much Howard.